eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Episode 88 of Boston Loose Baseball coming your way. A quick recap of the final few days of the Nats season. A look back as we paint with a broad brush on season 19 of Nationals Baseball. And we get set for our report card pod this week. And we take a deeper dive into everything going on. It all starts right now. Bustin' Bust Loose Baseball, hosted by Grant Paulson and Toby Altizer, gives you in-depth analytics and interviews on everything baseball in the nation's capital. Now, here's your host, Grant Paulson and Toby Altizer. With Toby Altizer, I'm Grant Paulson, producer Darius Dammer, making everything sound good. This is Boston Loose Baseball, episode 88, and it's sad to say it, Toby, this stinks because now it's time to walk into the desert and look for water for a few months. The Washington Nationals 2023 season has come to an end. No more baseball until the spring. It's crazy that we're already here, Grant, because it feels like it just started. It feels like it wasn't that long ago that we were just getting ramped up for baseball. It feels like it wasn't that long ago you were out in Seattle for the All-Star game. And now we're here. It's The season's over. We're into playoff baseball mode. Obviously, the Nationals aren't there. But I know we talked about this a couple pods ago. I really wanted to see them get to that 70 win mark, and they did it. And I'm so happy about that because I feel like in a couple seasons from now, depending upon where the Nationals are at, we can look back at this season and say, oh, 71 wins compared to what they had last season. That was a huge step forward. And I mean, if they have the same type of growth that they did from last year to this year, they'll be potentially a playoff ball club next year. So it was a huge jump for them. Huge, just an encouraging season for the team. If I had to choose one word to describe the, the team this year, it'd be encouraging because you just saw so many things going in the right direction and to see a 71 in the win column when some people still thought this was a hundred lost team, that clearly wasn't the case this year. They played some really good baseball at times. They still weren't a good baseball team by any stretch, a team that finishes 20 
games under 500 isn't a good baseball team, but they showed growth and not just even in the young guys. I think the team as a whole showed some growth. So I'm excited for what 2024 holds, but it's just crazy. We're already at the point where the season is finished. Who says that the 2023 Nationals weren't going to play October baseball? October 1st, they got to win, man. <laughs> Undefeated in October, no less. I told you this team was built for October. Um, no, but, but seriously, I mean, like, September was tough. It, it goes without saying. I think they ran out of some gas. The clock strike midnight, midnight a little bit. They went 8-18 and 18 in September, which ended up being their worst month of the season after they'd gone about 500 in July. And then 17 and 11 in August, which was far and away their best month. Uh, but if you look at this thing from a, you know, a 10,000 foot view, if you will, uh, in the first half before the all-star break, they played 420 baseball. In the second half after the break, they played basically 460 baseball. They were 37 and 44. You mentioned 71 wins, 91 losses. Look, if, if you just kind of came out of a time machine right before opening day, didn't know what the expectations were or anything about the team. You're not excited about that. That's not impressive. In fact, that's downright disappointing, uh, except that that's a 16-game improvement from last year. Like, realistically, what was the expectation? I mean, they went and got Trevor Williams in the rotation. They got Jamer Candelario got traded at the deadline, and Dominic Smith, a good defensive first baseman who doesn't hit for much power, and they basically said, let's run this damn thing back. I mean, so I, I don't know, you know, why anyone would have really anticipated a massive improvement. I know I sure didn't. If you would have told me coming into the year, 100 losses again, you know, 95 losses, I would have said, okay, yeah, that makes sense. You got to spend money. You got to add talent to improve. They didn't do those things this offseason. Uh, the, the ownership still didn't engage financially in that way. And so in, unless you were having a bunch of guys come up from the minor leagues to help you a lot, it was going to take major leaps forward from the guys at the big league level to, to get to 71 and 91. And not only did that happen to an extent, but also they did get more production out of some of their like lower ranked prospects in the system that got there first, who we talk about all the time that Jacob young, Jake Irvin, Jake Alou. Why is everyone named Jake, by the way, have we talked about that? <laughs> um, you know, that tier of player essentially. So uh, the 16 game improvement kind of speaks to, to the whole thing for me. Uh, and then I'll, I'll say this lastly, we don't need to go through the specifics of one game to game 162, but it was it was the epitome of this Nationals team where the, the, all year long they had a trend where they scored early a lot. But it, on top of that, it was your gritty, scrappy kind of one last ride with this team that was just so fun to watch all year long where they need to come back from five runs down and they do it. They get big late runs. They end up winning 10 to nine over the Braves like it was the, the embodiment of the 2023 Nationals to get them to 16 games better than they were last year. Yeah, and I think that stretch that they played coming out of the All-Star break, really up until they hit the wall at the beginning of September, I think that stretch might be really help for this, helpful for this ball club. And the reason being is a lot of these guys haven't played a full 162, so that's a nice experience in September. But they started playing winning baseball. I believe during that stretch, they were above 500 or they were right around it. And so not only were these guys getting the full grind of a long summer of playing baseball every single day, but they were also starting to experience what it was like to put together wins and play for a team that was playing some meaningful baseball. They were never going to be a wild card contender. They were never going to compete in the NL East, but they started to play really good baseball and beat some teams that were 
above 500 teams that were fighting for playoff spots themselves. So, you know, going into next season, guys like C.J. Abrams, guys like Kbert Ruiz, Josiah Gray, Mackenzie Gore, those guys that are young that are still relatively new to the big leagues, they've played some – it's not – crazy meaningful baseball it's not like they were playing into september for a playoff spot but they were playing some good baseball against some good ball clubs and finding some success so i feel like they might have found something just during that little bit of stretch that they can build off of going into next year i think that's fair Uh, also i like that they marlins notwithstanding i'll get to that in a second but they kind of held their own against the teams coming into the season that we thought would be the better teams in the division Right. I mean, Atlanta was the, the team they, they were worst against five and eight. Uh, but, you know, you just look at the, the series they just played, you know, in these kind of irrelevant games playing out the string here. You flip one of those, you're six and seven a game from 500. They were six and seven against Philly. They were six uh, and seven against the New York Mets. I, again, I'm not saying that's that's something to write home about. But my point is, you know, that's a 462 clip. Um, that's better than they were for the season at 71 and 91. So. Uh, the Mets didn't end up being good, but the Braves are going to the playoffs. The Phillies are going to the playoffs coming into the year, early in the year when they were playing the Mets. The expectations for them were obviously a lot higher. Uh, And the the, the bugaboo really was the Marlins, which is confounding to me. Obviously, Miami eventually got it together, and they went 18-9 and going into the final day of the season in, uh, in September and completely turned their year around. And it's a pretty incredible story that, Kim Ng, the uh, general manager of the Marlins, brings in Josh Bell, our old friend, and Jake Berger, and they get right in the second half. But they can thank the Nats for making the playoffs. I mean, that was <laughs> arguably the most maddening thing about the whole season for me was 2-11 and 11 against Miami. So if, if you just go, you know, let's just give you 6-7 and seven there, and, it, you know, there, there's 75 wins right there. You're, you're now, you know, 20 games better than you were. And I know it doesn't work that way, but – I guess my point is it, it was much more competitive within the division. They got better in a lot of areas where I think, you know, um, you're playing tight and close games. So you think about it in one run games this year, they were 28 and 21, seven over 500, which is really, you know, 571 winning percentage, but well above average in baseball. The uh, record for them in, in extra inning games this year was six and two. Uh, that that was good to see. So like some of those things where it comes down to you're playing tight, you're playing close games. Like how does this work? Uh, I, I think those were all encouraging signs. Yeah, and then the other thing off of that is the fact that for Nationals fans, you know, usually you go through a rebuild and it's sometimes a little bit murky waters, and that's kind of how it felt going into the season, where you're like. How long is it before we're talking about winning baseball? You're coming off 2019. It wasn't that long ago. You're only a couple of years removed from that. And now you're sitting here like, man, are we going to be stuck in this rebuild for a long time? And then as this season went on, you start to see some of the guys in the minors start catching stride. And so you're looking at something now where maybe one more season of this sort of a thing where we're not necessarily looking at the win-loss column and we're kind of looking at the development of the players. And, you know, if you're... If the guys that are young that are developing have a good game, but you still lose the ball game four to three, it's not that big of a deal. Really, we might only have one, maybe a year and a half left of that, Grant. Like this is a ball club that realistically you should start seeing some of these top prospects come up at points next season. So you would think that maybe you can deal with some growth next year, but by 2025, this is a ball club that we should get back to doing what we were doing when the Nationals were a good ball club where we're breaking down pitching decisions, we're breaking down wins and losses, 
we're getting on this team and covering them a little more strictly and a little harder on them. So it's a good thing for Nationals fans and also for the Nationals players with you coming out here and winning 71 games in a year that the expectations were quite low, you've raised them a bit. So this means that next year you can't come out and play flat and only win 65 games. That's going to be a disappointment. You've raised the expectations, which is a good thing. You want that, but that also means you need to back it up. That means you can't go back to playing poor defense behind your pitchers. That means you can't go back to making bad decisions in the field and having errors and putting together bad ABs. You need to come up, show more growth, and I think they will, but you've added some expectations to next season, and I think that's a really good thing for the ball club. Well, to that point, I'll actually go one step further. I think it's fair to say that um, you know you you, you got to go 500 probably next year, realistically, right? That would be a six-game improvement in a season where you're going to be calling up almost certainly James Wood, Dylan Cruz. I, mean, I won't go through the whole list and rattle them off now, but the, the theme of next year is going to be graduations, debuts of, of high-end prospects you know every couple of home stands we're going to be flocking to the yard to see the next good nationals prospect uh make their first uh appearance at nationals park in front of the home crowd it's it's going to be a really fun summer you know but when you make the leap now 16 wins to 75 next stops 500 and and theoretically it's a staircase right i know it's not linear but you should be better next year and then the year after that you should be vying truly for another seven, eight win improvement. And that's the wild card, you know, postseason type stuff. So I think it was the kind of year for them that gives you that feeling and that trajectory, especially in the system where they made so many major strides. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Long gone! We're going to go through the full report card uh, on every single player kind of that matters and, and the coaching staff. We're going to do a really detailed, probably hour or so long pod on Tuesday night. It's going to come out on Wednesday morning, so make sure uh, you check if you're a late night owl on Tuesday night. If you're a morning person, you know, first thing Wednesday, uh, we'll go through all of the details. But a couple things I did just want to call attention to here as we kind of put a bow on the season. Uh, big congratulations to C.J. Abrams. 
look, I, I don't know if, if this and a couple bucks will get you more than a coffee, but he did break the record for the Nationals for stolen bases in now 19 seasons of baseball, 47 bags for him after he swiped three uh, in the final two games and two against the Braves on the final day of the season. I mean, he was automatic when stealing bases, just couldn't be thrown out in the final couple of months of the year. Abrams doing something no Nat had done before. Now, it goes without saying that the rule changes are a factor here. Uh, I'm sure people will try to belittle the accomplishment because it's easier to steal now. I don't care about that. Uh, you know, I watched the movie 1961, the old HBO films, Billy Crystal movie where everyone tried to bring down Mantle and Maris because they had a few extra games to break the babe's record. Bottom line is the season is the season. The rules are the rules. He went out and stole 47 bags. And prior to today, you know, no national had done that before. Yeah, and I think the encouraging part is obviously breaking the record is awesome, but like you said, the efficiency with which, with which he did it. Like, it seemed like every time he took off, he was safe, and it didn't really matter who was on the mound. It didn't matter who was behind the plate. You weren't throwing him out, and it was a crazy clip, and it's something that he wasn't stealing lots of bags before he got put in that leadoff spot, and all of a sudden, he's taken off every time he gets on first base, and he's getting it every single time he takes off. So this is something where that record – might only stand for half the season next year because he might already be there. It's just crazy to think of how much of a different player C.J. Abrams was in the second half or at least when he got moved to that leadoff spot compared to what he was in the first half of the season. And hopefully he can build off of that. I mean, some of his numbers, you know, he had that torrid stretch basically when he got moved to the leadoff spot. He kind of cooled down a little bit as the season wore down. But if he can find a way to get back to being at least somewhat like the hitter that he was when he was going at his best in the leadoff spot and continuing to steal bags and playing good defensively. This is the guy that you traded for. This is why he was one of the top prospects in baseball. This is why he was a coveted guy in that Soto deal. And you saw flashes of it for parts of the season. Now it's just about continuing to grow off that and be more consistent. And it's cool to see it paid off by him setting that record. And he can remember this season as something that had never been done in Nationals history before. So credit to him. Yeah, and it's not like this team, even with the new rules, had a bunch of guys that could take advantage of the rules, right? I mean, you had 47 bags from C.J. Abrams. Lane Thomas had 20 steals to go along with his 28 home runs. And the number three on the list was Jacob Young, who only played about 30 games. He ended up stealing a bag every nine at-bats. You know, if you, you extrapolate out some of his numbers, you know, that would be like a 60-plus steal season for Abrams based on how much he played just as an example. So, I mean, Jacob Young really put some hay in the barn. He can fly. Uh, when he got to the big leagues, it helped that he hit over 250, got on base at a, a higher clip than Abrams did as well. Difference between those two guys was Abrams had a much higher slug, obviously, with 18 home runs, which we should point out. And again, we'll get into the, the details on the seasons. But I think the fact that, you know, Lane Thomas hit 28 homers without hitting a single home run in April basically took the first month off from a power standpoint. You know, if he would have had an April like he had the rest of the year, that's a 33 or 34 home run season for Lane Thomas. I mean, how incredible would that have been? You know, and, and it's not like we're using the, the the golf balls anymore. I mean, it's still, you know, maybe more friendly version of a baseball than 10 years ago, but uh, that, that's a big deal. I mean, you, you're looking at guys with Washington that are, are mid thirties home runs bats over the years. It's, you know, Harper, Zimmerman, Soto, there just aren't, you know, cheapies, right? I mean, uh, maybe an Adam Dunn type, 
But Lane Thomas, had he have kind of had a better April, would have been in that conversation. So I think that's worth noting. And then both Abrams and Ruiz end up with 18 home runs, massive leaps for those two guys, which was critical to see, right? I mean, you needed both of them to hit for more power. That That's the path forward for kind of stardom and, and being able to be the caliber of player the Nationals need both of them to be. And after, you know, I think they combined for nine home runs last year to combine for 36 this year was a pretty substantial jump. Makes you think that maybe both could hit 20-plus home runs here as they enter their prime in the years ahead. Yeah, and especially for Caber, you need to see him being productive at the plate, especially with the power and driving runs in, because, frankly, behind the plate, we saw him regress a little bit this season, or maybe even a lot this season, honestly, where he was not a very good defensive catcher. When you acquired him from the Dodgers in that deal, it was clearly for a bat. It wasn't a guy that was a great catcher behind the plate and we'll see what happens with new rules as the years go on here but maybe that you know gets neutralized a little bit but either either way he's not great behind the plate so you need him to be a good hitter and we saw some really good stretches and he continues to be a guy that's elite at putting the bat on the ball it's just being selective with his pitches and so again I think you can say this with just about every guy on the team that had a a fairly good season there were stretches where you saw like, oh, that's that's the guy we want. And obviously that's how it goes over a 162-game stretch. There are guys around Major League Baseball that look like a superstar for a week, and then they you know tail off. So I understand that that's kind of how baseball goes, but at least the guys this year that you wanted to see, they saw they had stretches that you saw why they were the guys that were coveted, why they were the guys that were brought over. And I think we saw more stretches of the good than – really, really poor like we've seen over the last couple of seasons for some of those guys. So it's a credit to them. And Kbert continue to improve on the power. Hopefully he can carry that over to next year and continue to get better in that case. I think it's just basically finding a way to continue to be selective on the pitches that he swings at because when he gets the barrel on the ball, he usually does some damage with it. It's just his issue is he swings at so many pitches that he can get to, which is a credit to his ability to cover the plate but they're not his pitches to swing at. So if they can continue to work on that, I think he can be a really effective hitter for this ball club. And the nice part is, you know, of all the guys that the Nationals have had, he's the one that they've chosen to lock up. So he's going to be with the Nationals for the long haul. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, both of those guys, Abrams and Ruiz, ended up, you know, cooling off down the stretch, slightly what I would consider to be below average offensive seasons. Uh, OPSs of 7-12 and 7-17 respectively ops pluses of 95 and 97 for Abrams and Ruiz, you know, obviously the, the uh, average ops plus right at a hundred. So if you're below that, you're kind of below the threshold. Um, so that's very narrow there and saying a tick below average. But uh, I say that to say, you know, there are some areas where both are going to have to continue to improve. No doubt about that. Uh, one of them is I want them to draw more walks. You know, I would say that's gotta be a theme for this whole team, right? I mean, nobody drew walks that you want a, ball, a beer at a bar. Here's your trivia question. Who led the team in walks this year? It was freaking Alex Cole. Yeah, Alex Cole. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Like Alex Cole played in, I don't know, 125 games and had 375 at bats and he had 53 walks. And that was the most on the team. You know, you look at some of the guys that played every single day, like Joey Manessis doesn't really walk. Lane Thomas doesn't really walk. Uh, and it's kind of a team of, of those guys. Now, the good news is that Abrams, or uh, Ruiz rather, doesn't strike out at all. 
Um, and for the most part, you know, they, they don't have heavy volume, high volume strikeout guys comparatively. You know, they put the ball in play, which is nice. But that's just an area where I think both those guys can improve. You know, you take Candelario's numbers and throw them to the side because he got dealt. You know, obviously Thomas, their best offensive player. Manessis had a pretty good year. And then Ruiz and Abrams right there with Dominic Smith behind them, kind of rounding out the conversation. Uh, Jackson Rutledge started the final day of the season. Not as good an outing as we'd seen from him against Atlanta last time through. Thought that was good for him, though, to see a team again in short order. You know, not that the Braves were playing the A lineup and, and you know, grinding their way through the game necessarily as they're readying for the playoffs. But I just thought that that was still an encouraging test for him. Uh, obviously, Gore and Irvin end up on the shelf at the end of the year, so they were piecemealing the rotation together. But good to see JoJo have another solid outing last trip through. Uh, sub-4 ERA for the season is something he can take with him into the offseason and build upon as he tries to you know, elevate that K rate, lower that walk rate a little bit next season. Uh, Corbin, while it was not pretty and still bad, ERA over 5, you know, 10 and 15 record if you're into that kind of thing, fielding independent pitching about 5.3 thought he was a little bit better this season and Trevor Williams did kind of what they brought him in to do. Right. I mean, he, he threw 150 innings. He gobbled up a bunch of frames. Not sure how many starts he'll make if any next year, but he's under contract and ideally, you know, they got enough young options coming out of camp. They feel good about with maybe one or two new faces that you could put Williams in the pen as a multi-inning guy. Yeah, I mean, they're going to have Williams and Corbin on the roster next year, and we'll see what kind of role they fit in as because they're just going to be innings eaters. That's kind of what they were this year. And, you know, like you said, I think Corbin improved, but it wasn't like he was great. And Trevor Williams wasn't, you know, there were stretches where he was okay, but for the most part, he wasn't great. But those are the kinds of guys you need at times on a ball club just to eat some innings because, you know, Josiah Gray is only going five or Mackenzie Gore is only going five, and you can't continue to tax the bullpen like we saw at stretches during this season. So those guys will stick around, but I think it's encouraging for, you know, Josiah Gray. He finishes the year with a ERA under four after a season in which he'd given up the most home runs and had an ERA over five. And that's clear growth. You know, Mackenzie Gore had some really good outings. He struggled. And it's funny because we talk about walks on the offensive side. I think walks and pitching side is a big issue for a lot of these guys as well. So if you can find a way to, stay in the strike zone and not give away free passes a lot. You think of JoJo, you think of Mackenzie Gore, especially those guys just struggling with walks. If they can find a way to just not give away base runners on an easy basis, especially non-competitively, like they would do at times where JoJo would come up and throw four straight balls to start an inning, make it a little bit easier on yourself. But I think it's nice for those guys to have gone through a full season. Now JoJo's gone through two of them. Mackenzie Gore, I know he didn't end up really pitching the last couple of weeks with the blister issue, but I think he basically got to experience a full season. The nice part for JoJo, now you've experienced two full seasons. Now it's a time where you understand what it's like to go through the 162. You understand what it's like to have to manage your arm. Now it's about becoming a really good pitcher and a solidified starter in this league. You've already solidified that you can be a big leaguer, now become a good one. And that's something that happened this year with Mackenzie Gore, he went out there. Now he kind of understands what it's like to go through a full season. Now he needs to build off that even more and build off what it's like. And I think you brought up a good point with Jackson Rutledge, and I think this goes for guys like Irvin and all the young guys. 
it's nice to see when they go and face a team the second time or they've had a couple of outings and guys can start game planning for that specific pitcher, you can start to see how they're going to attack you. So now you can go back this offseason talking about all the pitchers and self-scout and figure out, all right, they're going to try to attack my fastball next year. They're going to try to attack this breaking ball because it wasn't my best. How do I improve? So I'm encouraged by a lot of what we saw this season from the pitching staff. And the best part is there's some guys in the minors that hopefully will be a part of the team next year. Cade Cavalli coming back. How does he build off of what he was going into this season with? Can he come back healthy from the Tommy John? It'll be you know a little bit of time. I don't think he'll be with the big league club to start the year, but how does he do when he comes back for the ball club? Jackson Rutledge, maybe he sticks around with the big league club. We'll see, but they've got some young guys coming up at some point, and I think just overall what we saw from some of the young guys this year was really encouraging. Well said. Uh, well said. I, I, I like the breakdown, and I, I think the idea of kind of building on that foundation is going to be an early theme, you know, for some of those young major leaguers that have kind of now become veterans. Uh, next season. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so real quick before we say goodbye, and again, we're going to have the full report card pod coming up this week. It's going to be juicy. It's going to be about an hour, so uh, buckle up. It's going to drop Tuesday night into Wednesday morning for you, so make sure you uh, are are able to grab that and send it around to all your buddies that like the Nats. We'll give uh, every player uh, a letter grade and and the staff and, and the front office and everybody all the way through a letter grade. We'll get into the system as well. Uh, playoff baseball, Toby. Last thing we should hit here. The bracket is set. Uh, obviously, the Nats aren't participating, which is too bad. But in the American League, the Astros on the final day won the West. They end up the two seed in the American League. So the Orioles, the one seed. The Astros, the two seed. On to the division series round. They're awaiting winners of wild card round play between the Blue Jays and Twins and the Rangers and Rays. Uh, So the Texas-Tampa winner moves on to take on Baltimore. The Blue Jays-Twins winner goes on and takes on Houston. Meanwhile, in the National League, the Braves, the one seed, the Dodgers, the two seed, uh, neither surprising at all if you watched any baseball this year. They're waiting in the division series round. But in the meantime, the Diamondbacks and Brewers in a 6-3 matchup and the Marlins and Phillies out of the NL East in a divisional matchup battling to move along. Uh, give me your World Series champion and then give me your sleeper team to look out for that you think could impress. This might be a little bit homerish because, you know, growing up, I, you know, I wasn't super old when the Nationals came back, but I did grow up a bit of an O's fan until I was seven and then the Nationals came back. So a little bit homerish. I think the O's could go on a run. That offense is just so good. The question will be the pitching staff. So I'll go with the O's. I think that they could go on a run this year. The sleeper team, they uh, <laughs> it's funny because I covered this team for a while, but I think it could be the Brewers. I mean, when you have a pitching staff like they do with Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff and Freddie Peralta and the bullpen they do with Devin Williams closing it down, it doesn't have to be anything spectacular. That's the great neutralizer. Like if you can just find a way to get through and squeak across a run or two with those guys on the mound, 
with some October experience, just find a way and they can, I think, go on a run. And if they face off against the Dodgers, I think they can find a way. Or if they go up against the Braves, I think they can find a way. So I, I like the O's to probably get it done. That offense is just so crazy. But I do think the Brewers could give some teams a bit of trouble in the National League. I'm going to pick the Braves to win the World Series. And yeah, I just couldn't I, do that. I just could not do that. I hear you. I hear <laughs> you. I think they've just been the best team kind of coast to coast. Uh, and the team I would say not to sleep on. Um, I don't know. I kind of have weird like 2022 Phillies vibes from the Rangers. I could see them like offensively getting really hot and just mashing, hitting a ton of home runs and going on a deep run. But looking forward to the start of October and playoff baseball uh, getting going. Toby, it has been a blast all season long, man. Love doing this pod with you. I think the best way maybe to say goodbye here is to, uh, in the the season of silence, they call it, is to see if I can slide my laptop over so we can hear my French bulldog snoring. So let's see. I think she just woke up as I slid the computer over. <laughs> May not have worked. Darius maybe can spike some of the snores. She was snoring so loudly during the show. It was ridiculous. I could hear a little bit, so it was good. Fiona, are you sleeping? Are you ready for more baseball? <laughs> All right. Well, it didn't work too good. So maybe you heard that one, right? Yeah. All right, that'll be a good send-off from Fiona for the season of silence, the season of hibernation. Thanks for listening to Boston Loose Baseball. That's great. (laughs) 